You're listening to The Loft on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, and uh, we're going to be talking with Hillsdale College Chaplain Father Adam Rick about the importance of exercising. Yeah, so specifically, why is cardio important? You know, this is uh, exorcism, not exercise. Oh, that makes way more sense for a Halloween episode. Yeah, exercise is not yeah. that scary. Well, okay. Maybe. <laughs> Potentially. All right. So uh, thanks for coming out, Father Rick. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's get started. Real simple definition. What exactly is exorcism? What is an exorcism? An exorcism is uh, a driving out of a demonic influence that has invaded someone's life and usually by definition has caused some kind of destruction in that life. Okay. Okay. So is is a, an exorcism something that you would learn well in sem- or, uh, seminary? I can't say I had a class on Exorcism 101 at the okay. seminary <laughs> I attended. Um, it certainly comes up in some classes because it's obviously in the Gospels and it's you know, something mm-hmm. you got to deal with. Um, but I have found that people who receive training in this do tend to receive specialized training, and they sort of have dedicated ministries to um, exorcism. Um, in Protestant circles, sometimes it's called deliverance ministry. But it's the same mm-hmm. idea of sort of ridding people of evil forces in their lives. Right. Mm. So it's kind of like... Navy SEAL camp they send you to and you learn how to all the tools of the trade. I feel like it is a little bit like a spiritual Navy SEALs, yeah. Okay. Like nice. I know in the Roman Catholic Church in my tradition, the Anglican Church, they'll often have dedicated officials within dioceses who if there's a if there's a suspicion of demonic oppression mm. um, you, you call the bishop and he actually assigns this person to go out to you and help you figure it out. So it is kind oh. of a specialty ministry for sure. Interesting. Okay, so uh, how exactly does possession work? So like, how does someone become possessed? Like, what is the, how does that work? I think there's a lot of mystery about this because we don't actually fully really understand this, the spiritual realms. The scriptures don't really tell us the story of the angels and the demons. We just get it in little bits and pieces. Um, but it seems to be the case that uh, a demonic force would possess somebody. It's kind of an old word. I think modern New Testament theologians prefer the word demonize. Because um, they don't take over your faculties, but they just fill your brain with all kinds of negative images and doubts. And they can, in that way, begin to sort of overwhelm your will so that you start doing things that you maybe you wouldn't want to do. But I feel like a normal experience, so far as these things are normal at all, mm-hmm. um, it's more just someone being filled with like feelings of dread or doubt or just unshakable fear or things like that. Um, that suggests that they they just can't quite get their hand or their mind around the promises of the good news of Christ. So, okay. Now, people who have those feelings, I want to be careful. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have a demon per right. se. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, I feel like someone becomes demonized when they've, in some sense, become trapped and are unable to shake themselves from that kind of a force in their life. Okay, so it's not like The Exorcist or stuff you see in movies like that. Is that a little dramatized? It's dramatized <laughs> for sure. I, I think I have heard of cases that are that bad. I mean, you see them in the New Testament, obviously, too. Mm-hmm. But I think those are the extreme cases. That's not how it typically manifests. Sure. Okay, so then also just like th- thinking about a lot of movies and stuff, you often see inanimate objects being possessed by some sort of spiritual force. Is that... Is that uh, how it really works, or is it just people? You're talking about like a poltergeist or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's no real scriptural precedent for that. I suppose it's possible. But um, whenever we see a a demonization in the New Testament, it's always the demonization of of people. Right. And it's interesting, this little story in the Gospels when Jesus comes across this uh, demonized man um, in Gennesaret. And it's it's multiple demons in this guy. 
And when Jesus goes to cast him out, they're like, well, we know who you are. Uh, don't let us, don't let us loose. Like, hey, send us into those herd of pigs over there. And so there seems to be like they want to be attached to some like organically living thing. Sure. Hmm. Um, and while in some sense Jesus grants their request in the short term, the pigs go and immediately drown themselves. So um, um, there's like a revolt of nature against this kind of an influence. So um, it does seem to not be objects, but but personal subjects that become okay. demonized. Sure. Interesting. So you touched on it a little bit earlier, but is there any sort of like, is there any surefire way to get possessed, I guess, is the, the best way to, are, are there things that trend towards that? How does that work? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't think, for people who are worried that it might be happening to them against their will, uh, I would say don't worry about it in that regard. Um, it seems like what I've, what, I've, what I've seen sort of examples of this in people's lives um, in history or t- stories I've read sort of outside the New Testament, it's often the fruition of a long path of being deliberately disobedient to God. Like if he's telling you to do something you know what you're supposed to do and you just hardened your conscience against that word, you leave yourself vulnerable and open. Um, and I think that's when over a prolonged period of time or a prolonged overlapping pattern of behavior – um, you become vulnerable, I can put it that way, uh, to potentially being overtaken by a force that is content to leave you in that state of disobedience. Okay. So I know there's a lot of debate between especially Catholics and more um, more conservative Protestants about um, whether possession still occurs today or whether it's something that just happened in Jesus' time as kind of like an evidence of um, his works. Mm-hmm. Um, would you fall into the camp of believing that this still happens today? I think it still happens today, for okay. sure. And there are definitely, I mean, there are definitely conservative Protestant groups out there, like I said, uh, like in charismatic circles especially, they have a name for this kind of ministry. It's called deliverance ministry. It's kind of a technical phrase. So if you mm-hmm. can go to those churches and talk about deliverance ministry, they'll know what you mean. Um, but they certainly are very convinced that it's still a live thing today. Um, it seems perhaps a bit more rare to us today than it does in the New Testament. Of course, when you have Jesus walking around on earth in person, he's probably going to like a lightning rod attract to himself mm, sure, these things right. in larger numbers perhaps <laughs> but um i wouldn't say it's gone away no okay okay and so there's i guess uh leaving sort of like as orthodox christian uh thinking there's stuff like voodoo and all kinds of weird uh stuff that goes on would you say that that falls into that same is it all the kind of like the same thing or does it relate to that how is that interesting you ask yes and no i i think there's a lot of pop like witchcraft out there or mm-hmm. Wiccan where it's just sort of like rich white people dabbling and whatever, <laughs> like gron- granola or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that, that can sometimes, obs- like the kitschiness of it can obscure the fact that like witchcraft and, and those kinds of practices are, are real things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, what I find interesting about, people who are really into those kinds of things, they're often not flashy about it. I mean, that's the thing. They look like normal people. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't get into the hats and the weird stuff that you might go like Salem, Massachusetts on, on Halloween. Um, they mm-hmm. don't want you to be freaked out by them. They want to be, they want to present themselves as normal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's oftentimes very rich and very affluent people who are into the real, real stuff. Huh. Um, and so, uh, I think that we need to be careful, though, because Paul does, for example, say in his letter to the Corinthians that idol worship is the actual worship of demons. Um, and we have strange stories in the ancient world, and of course they take it very literally, of like demons coming, like the idols in their temples coming to life. 
And I don't think that's necessarily just fanciful. You know, I think demons can take advantage of false worship. Like I said, a heart hardened to obedience leaves us open. And so if we dabble in these things, we might find ourselves surprised what we may unintentionally encounter. Right. And so while a lot of it's kitsch and made up and rich white people, like I said, in granola, that doesn't necessarily mean we should treat it flippantly. Um, right. You know, fill your mind with that, which is beautiful, Paul says. Don't, don't deliberately seek after that kind of stuff. Sure. Okay. So then going back to specifically possession again, um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but could you go a little bit more in depth on how you can tell if some, someone is possessed? We're getting a little bit to the range of my experience <laughs> at this yeah. point. Okay. Um, but um, let me back up a little bit and talk about um, even stories I've heard on this campus, actually. Uh, when you feel like an evil presence is near. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the telltale signs is um, just like a sudden onset of a feeling of dread or sadness. Um, something that's a phenomenon that's often described by people who are encountering an evil force. This, this sounds fanciful and like science fiction, but like I, I hear it enough to know like this is an actual thing. Is there'll be a sudden decrease in the temperature, like maybe the hairs on their skin will start rising up. Whoa. Um, and uh, if that happens, that might, again, I wanna emphasize here, it's not a one-to-one correlation because there's all kinds of things in this world that are mysterious to us, mm-hmm. but that might be an indication that something is going on. Mm-hmm. And especially if there's a spiritual layer added to it, like if you've just had a very difficult conversation with a roommate, or if you're going through some stress at home, or if you feel like a friend of yours is really falling under bad influences, like praying about it might might provoke a response from an evil force to prevent you from helping your friend or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it, that, it could happen that way. It doesn't necessarily happen that way, but um, I find when people have stories of feeling that they've experienced an evil presence, it's often in conjunction with some kind of uh, spiritual work they were trying to do and, and they're, being, they're being stymied in it. Huh. Um, so um, those are ways you might be able to tell that there's maybe something afoot. Um, but yeah, I'll stop there. So I guess a uh, quick follow-up question to that then. Um, is, does your vulnerability to the spirits necessarily make a difference in how easy it is to detect whether those things are there or not? Like if you're um, a Christian versus a non-Christian, for example, um, the non-Christian would be, I, I believe, more vulnerable mm-hmm. um, because they're in disobedience. Does that make it easier for them to detect the spirits or not? Or is it the other way around? That's an interesting question. I feel like the answer is kind of both a yes and a no. Um, But, you know, one of the things I said from the Christian point of view is that it's the result of like a long period of hardness, of disobedience. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it calcifies the conscience. It sort of sears the conscience. Um, The New New Testament sometimes uses the phrase like being handed over. so that our, our sensitivity to spiritual things becomes very deadened. Um, so I think that in that case, you can become vulnerable to attack because you're no longer as sensitive to it. Um, at the same time, we talk talking about people who are really witches, who are really practice that stuff. They have a heightened sensitivity in the other direction because they've, oh, they've, sure. they've exercised how to contact demonic forces, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it can work both ways, but I would think that somebody who's now sensitive to the voices of demons 
might now might might now be insensitive to the proclamation of the good news. Okay. And one thing that can sometimes happen, and you see this, this is like one aspect of maybe some of those movies that's a little accurate, is that when a demon's confronted, the person just gets like full of wrath or rage and like can even get physically violent. Mm-hmm. When you confront somebody who's so attuned to evil forces with the good news of the gospel, they can become very like resistant to you and maybe even combative. Um, and that might be evidence that you've encountered somebody like, oh, okay, this is... Mm-hmm. We're veering into territory here that's a little bit above my pay grade. Um, and so, like, um, unless you're really, really adept at that kind of stuff, if that ever happens to you, maybe the good, the best thing to do is, okay, well, you're, you're clearly not in the right state to talk about this right now, so why don't we talk about the weather or baseball or something. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, right, right. So that, that might be, and that, that's just good interpersonal practice anyway, if somebody's right. getting worked up. Like, okay, maybe we talk about something else. But, right. um, and then you pray for that person. Mm-hmm. Whether they have a demon or not, it might be good to pray for them anyway. So, um yeah, that's what I would say. Very interesting. Yeah, so just kind of real quickly, if you have any, uh, I guess you have more insight than we do anyway, <laughs> but uh, just sort of like the, the nitty gritty of like how an exorcism works. Like, are there like tactics or like how does how does that work? Yeah, at that point, you're getting a little bit into the differences in some traditions. Um, you know, a Roman Catholic exorcist might be inclined to use holy objects or relics, holy water. You'll find that practice obviously a bit more rare among sort of, say, a charismatic Protestant. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that, that a lot of the practices have in common, as I understand it, is the invocation of the name of Jesus. Because whenever we see demons in the New Testament, they're always afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're afraid of his name. Like, we know who you are, living son of God, you know, the living one of God. Or um, like when that, like there's an interesting story in Acts. It's sort of a humorous story where these people are like, ooh, Paul can drive out demons. Maybe we can do it too. And they start, they go up to somebody they think is demonized and they try to drive out the demon. And the name of the God that Paul preaches and the demon manifests. That's another term they use in these circles. When, it, when a demon manifests, it's when suddenly a person who's demonized, it becomes obvious that it's no longer really quite them talking anymore. Um, the demon manifests and says, Paul I know and Jesus I know. But who in the crap are you? And then, he, and, then, and then the guy beats him up. I don't know if you remember the story in the book of Acts. But, um, and so, uh, um, so they're, they're sensitive to the name of Jesus. And why it's always important if you feel like you've encountered a demonic force is to fixate on Jesus and to, to, to lean into his name. And so exorcisms will often involve in the name of Jesus, I command you. Mm-hmm. Or in the name of the crucified and risen one, I command you. Um, um, I think in the Exorcist he says like the power of Christ compels you, right. or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and that, mm-hmm. that that's a that's a obviously a little bit of a dram- dramatization, but it is a, it is an insight into how it works, um, because it is at the name of Jesus that forces under the earth will bend the knee, right? Sure. Um, at the name of Jesus, things in earth and above the earth and under the earth will will bow. Um, he is the one who has command. He is the one who has sovereignty from God His Father. So, uh, demons fly at the invocation of His name. Um, he is the sure tower in defense. So they, as, as Martin Luther says in that great hymn, um, one little word will fell the devil, and that word is the name of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's terrifying to him, you know. So that that is a feature that's common uh, in a lot of, like, the practices of exorcism for sure. Okay. And then um, let's say someone is successfully exorcised. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that, they are in any way more or less susceptible to being repossessed? Or does that just depend on the state of the person? Yeah, so Jesus has an interesting parable about this. I don't know if you know the parable, but um, Jesus talks about if a demon leaves a man and wanders around trackless wastes and then returns to that place and finds that it's all put together and nice, 
Um, he'll go on and grab seven friends and re-enter that man and make his state worse than, the, than it was at the beginning. Um, and the implication of the parable is often that, like, if a man is exercised and then doesn't do anything to refill his house with something good, there's nothing there to prevent him from becoming mm. worse off. Okay. Sure. Um, and so when someone's exercised, uh, the key thing at that point is to bring them into communion with Christ and to fill their life with another spirit that is altogether good and holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once the spirit of Christ makes his abode in us, um, it's, it's again, it's the same thing as the name of Jesus. Like now Christ's own presence is there. And so he's not able to come back. You know, those demonic forces aren't able to come back in. Um, one way, one thing that I've done, uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience exercising individuals, but I have been called in the past by parishioners to exercise homes. If they feel like there might be a, an evil spirit. I've done that here on this campus. I've had students who live in houses off campus. Can you come like do a house blessing? Um, and the focus of that service is not so much warding off evil spirits. The focus is invoking Christ's presence. You know, Mm -hmm. let him dwell here. And we ask for his blessing on various rooms in the house that his good would be done there. Mm -hmm. And for those who are comfortable with this, not all traditions would be comfortable with this, but those who are, um, the service can conclude with the celebration of Holy Communion. Because, of course, uh, my tradition at Anglican, we believe that Christ is in some sense really present when uh, he's invoked over bread and wine. in service to the remembrance of his death and resurrection. And so the service literally concludes by asking Christ quite literally to enter into that house mm-hmm. in the form of the Eucharistic meal. And I think that's symbolically significant because what we're trying to do is not ward off the demon so much, but to fill this house with the presence of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, who once he's here, he t- like the demons take care of themselves because they're not going to come back in. The place is occupied um, and by something far more powerful than they are. And so I think that really ought to be the focus is um, invoke Jesus and get his blessing in. Um, have him live here, and then you're good to go. You know what I mean? Right. So just curious, if you're comfortable sharing, what exactly was going on at these houses that they asked you to come out? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I feel like there's a lot of commonalities. I've done it in New England when I was in a church there. I did it here in Hillsdale. It's often stuff that like just creaking noises in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. um, footsteps on the hall when no one else is home. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen uh, stories of people feeling like they're in bed at night and it gets very cold all of a sudden. So that's an example of something I talked about earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often can be corroborated by like multiple roommates. If there's like multiple people living in a house, like they've had similar experiences. Sure. Um, sometimes I've heard of people's dreams being affected. Like just they, they can't mm-hmm. rest well, one interesting thing I've heard from multiple people is that um, they'll wake up at the same time uh, on like the same night, you know, the same the 15th of every month or something, they'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning or, huh. um, and it's, it's interesting though, they've noted that when they look at their clock, it's the same time. Mm-hmm. Now again, you want to be careful because when you do that a couple of times, then you've sort of developed a rut in your brain and you might wake yourself up at three o'clock in the right, morning right, as you're doing right. it. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that I've heard that repeated. Like I've heard that story that like they wake mm-hmm. up at the same time um, uh, and they're filled with dread. They're filled with fear. So um, it's often stories like that where like, can you come and do a home blessing? It's like, yeah, I think I'll, I'll come over and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, steal myself by prayer and do my best. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of what I've heard. Sure. Okay. And then after that happens, do you, do you follow up with them and like, do you hear about 
these kinds of things happening less often after that? I, I do, in fact. Okay. Um, and so far, I've got a pretty good track record. <laughs> 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 the, an interesting example that just came up, if, if this particular student is listening, they'll immediately know who I'm talking about, but I'll be, I'll be oblique about it. Um, I had a home blessing at a house uh, in the area a couple years ago. At the time, it was a senior. She's since graduated and moved on. Um, but we did the whole circuit, you know, we went in every room in the house, and we prayed for Christ's blessing, and we concluded the service of the Holy Communion. And um, I had a student come up to me this year and say that she, she and her roommates are having this similar experience in their house. And she said she gave me the address, and I was like, that street sounds very familiar. So, so I looked it up on my phone, and it turns out it's the house next door. Oh. Um, and it could be nothing. But right. the thought had occurred to me, like, maybe I was so effective and, like, <laughs> well, let me be careful. Christ was so effective in sort of sealing this one house with his presence that the spirit, you know, send us to those pigs, please. Like, there's another house I could occupy. Right. And sure. that's where they, w- yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but, I mean, <laughs> right. it, it occurred to me. And that I, I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility, but it sounds like another home blessing might be in order, in other words. so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then I feel b- bad for their next door neighbors. I feel like oh, this right. is gonna be like a circuit, you know, <laughs> right, around right. campus. Maybe you should just go bust the whole street. Yeah, that might not be <laughs> right. a bad idea. All right, that's actually very interesting stuff. This is it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Can I? Are we done with the interview? Can I say one last thing before sure, we wrap sure, up? Sure. I hinted at it already, and I think I really want to stress this. Whenever someone comes to see me and they feel like I think that might be evil forces, my advice to them is always like, look, what these demons really want is to distract you. And to like have you fixate your attention on them. Because if you're not, if you're fixated on them, you're not fixated on something else. And that's what you really ought to be doing. And so my advice to people is like, look, don't be afraid, especially if you're baptized believers, don't be afraid. The Lord Christ is enthroned over all these evil forces. They're in defeat, right? The battlefield, the battle has been won. We're just now mopping up operation. Um, uh, run to Jesus. Don't fixate on the demon. Run to Jesus, invoke his name, ask for his blessing, ask for his presence in your life. And if you, and particularly if you're not experienced, because there are some demons out there that are powerful. I've heard it once compared to like a rank structure, like there are generals and corporals and captains. And if, 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 a, if a Christian who is a private in terms of their spiritual development tries to take on a demon who's a corporal or a colonel, they're gonna they're like they're, they're gonna get trounced. That doesn't necessarily mean they're gonna get demonized themselves, but they might find like things happen that they can't control. So the the thing is like, look, if you feel like there might be something going on, like don't don't go to combat with the thing. It's got way more experience than you. Like, but don't be afraid of it either. Go to Jesus. He's the generalissimo par excellence. Like, go to him, mm-hmm. invoke his presence, fix it on him, fill your life with the things of goodness and and of the gospel. And uh, ask Christ to protect you. And that's what he's in the business of doing. So don't let demons frighten you. Uh, rather, let, let the Lord uh, enlighten you, I think is sort of how I would want to conclude this conversation today. All right. Thanks for coming out, Father Adam Rick. Yes, thanks so much. It's my pleasure.